you know, normally when I'm on stage, I'm up here with the guitar and singing, but it seems I already did that today. And you all get a double dose of Bob this morning. <laughs> but I'm so excited and so glad to be here, be given this privilege to speak to all of you. And you know, when I was thinking about what I wanted to share this morning, this season that we are in as a church, you know, we've been praying, there's been an increase in the momentum of prayer. Just this last week, we started prayer meetings in church. And if, you, if you're not aware, we are doing that. We are opening up on-site prayer meetings for you to come. And you know, over the last few months, there's just been this increase in momentum and a desire to see God pour His Spirit out on us. Amen. And so that's what I wanted to speak about this morning. I want to talk about revival but I want to talk about it from a different perspective. You see, I was in a revival myself. I was privileged to, to be in a revival back in my hometown in Shillong. And this morning, I want to share with you stories and accounts of what I saw firsthand God doing in, in, the, in the middle of a revival. And I hope that you will be blessed, you will be inspired as we continue to ask God to pour His Spirit out on us. Amen? Now, let's turn our, our Bibles to um, Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 17 and 18. It says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Know the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for this privilege this morning to be here in your house, Lord. We thank you for the wonderful opportunity that we have to come together as a people to worship you, to hear your word. Lord, and this morning I pray that you would stir our hearts, Lord. God, that these stories, these accounts that we will hear will do more than tickle our ears, Lord God. But I pray that they would stir our hearts to believe that you can do it again, Lord. What you have done in, in, in revivals of the past, Lord. What you've done as you poured out your spirit on, on, on people, Lord. We believe that you can do it again here in, in this nation, in Singapore, Lord. And I pray that as a people here in Cornerstone, God, we'll be a people that is sold out for you, Lord. Oh, God, that we would learn to humble ourselves before you and to, to, to seek your face, Lord, and we will see heaven open over us, Lord. May we be that generation that sees you pour your spirit out on all flesh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. You know, I want to give you a little introduction about my, my background. I, I told you I'm from a, a place called Shillong. Shillong is this um, city in the northeastern part of India. Yes, I said India. <laughs> I'm from India. And, uh, you know, Shillong is, is the capital of this uh, state called Meghalaya. And uh, it's, uh, it's where I come from. You know, just a little trivia. Meghalaya is one of the smallest states in India. India is a huge country, okay? Meghalaya is one of 29 states and seven union territories. Meghalaya ranks very low in terms of the size. Meghalaya is only 0.6% of the entire landmass of India. And Meghalaya is divided into these seven districts. You see South Garo Hills down there? It's the smallest district in Meghalaya. It's still bigger than Singapore. <laughs> I just think it's really funny. You know, and uh, just a little background and history about, about um, my place. You know, just as Singapore was, India was also under the British rule. And when the British came to India and they, they made their way to my hometown, the Kasi Hills, they were so awed by the beauty of the place that they decided to make Shillong the capital of all their operations in east of India. Yeah, this is the Kasi Hills. Pasalip has been there a few times, you know. Pasalip can attest to the beauty of the land there. In fact, Pasalip, they, they love your preaching and they would like you to, to come back. Maybe after COVID is over. Yeah, but this is where I come from and 
You know, when the British, one of, one of the good things about what the British would do when they would occupy a land is they would bring missionaries with them to preach the gospel, to evangelize to the indigenous people. And so it was with, with, with us as well. Uh, and a, a call was sent back to the UK for missionaries to respond because here was this new uh, group of people that had never heard the gospel. And so they asked for missionaries to come. And coincidentally, the people who responded were missionaries from Wales. It was Welsh missionaries who came and brought the gospel to us. And the very first person who came was, was this uh, missionary by the name of Thomas Jones. In the year 1841, he and his wife came uh, as missionaries and they brought the gospel to us. That's 180 years ago. And they came, you know, they, they started evangelizing. They started um, sharing with us the gospel and, and he, uh, they actually taught us uh, how to read and write. Before they came, our language was a purely oral language. They gave us a script. And Thomas Jones started the work of translating the Bible for us. He, I mean, he said, it is of no use to preach the gospel unless people can read the Word of God. And that is true. So he started translating the Bible uh, for us, and they started building churches. You know, the very first church they built was just a few mere five years after they came. It still stands till this day. It's this church here. And uh, just outside of this church, there are these plaques that, has a, that have a list of all these names of Welsh missionaries that have come to our place. And it's really incredible. You know, it's such a, such a wonderful uh, history of what these people did for, for my people. And Pastor Young always talks about how, you know, as a church, we're so indebted to Wales, right, for what God did through them. And of course, through the Welsh revival, spawning many other revivals around the world and uh, the, um, the Azusa Street revival being one of them. And of course, Azusa Street revival led to the Pentecostal and charismatic movements of which we are a direct recipient. But you know, for me, when he says that, it hits so much deeper because they, the Welsh people actually brought the gospel to, to my people. You know, if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't even be here today speaking to you. So I'm really, really grateful to, to, to the Welsh um, for what they've done for my people. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just the gospel that they brought to, for, for, to us. They, they, they did a lot of good social work. They built schools, they built hospitals, they built roads, and then they continued the good work um, over the years. And about 60, 60 years after they came, this was around the year 1904, uh, and they start, we started hearing, my people started hearing what God was doing in Wales because that was when the revival happened in Wales, right? And so we heard what God was doing. We heard how God was pouring out His Spirit on the land of Wales and the people there. And we started praying. We started saying, God, if you can do it in, in the land of Wales, surely you can do it here as well. And you know, God did it. He poured His Spirit out on us. In the year 1905-06, for one and a half years, the heavens opened over us and there was, there was so much of uh, the Spirit of God being poured out on my people. And we saw thousands, tens of thousands of people come to the, to the kingdom of God. You know, to, to the point where today, Meghalaya is one of the few states in India where Christianity is a majority religion. We are, 75% of our population are Christians. And it's all because of what God did through the revival. And you'll fast forward 100 years. This is the year 2006. It's 100 years since that first revival. The people started crying out to God once again. Lord, if you can do it, then you can do it now. This is an entirely new generation, you know. That generation that experienced revival the first time around, they were no longer, they were no longer there. And the, the people that were, uh, that were there in 2006 had only heard the stories had only heard about what God was doing, but they were hungry and they started crying out to God. Amen. And uh, I want to read Second um, Chronicles 7.14. Of course, this is the, the verse that we go to whenever we talk about revival. And it says, My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. 
I want to talk about three things this morning regarding revival. And the very first one is travail. You know, revival is birth out of travailing prayer. And travail is prayer, but it is more than just surface level prayer. It is deep intercessory prayer that, that yearns to see the Spirit of God touch the hearts of men. And you know, it won't stop until it sees what it is interceding for come to pass or until the Lord releases that. You know, the word travail is the same word that is used to describe the labor pains a woman goes through when she's giving birth. I mean, it's intense. I love this definition of, the, of travailing prayer. It says, travailing prayer is deep intercessory prayer that releases the power of the Holy Spirit to give birth to something ongoing, redemptive, reconciling, and healing in people. And God is looking for people who are willing to give themselves over to intercession, to cry out for their nation. You know, we've been, like I said, we've been praying for revival. Do we really want to see God pour His Spirit out on us? If we do, we need to take this seriously. It's not just coming for, you know, five minutes a day and praying and, and saying, God, send revival. It is, we, we have to allow ourselves to be taken over by the Holy Spirit and begin to really cry out to God. I love what uh, Pastor Young says, you know, he says, revival isn't spontaneous combustion. It is ignited. Revival isn't spontaneous combustion, it is ignited. And what ignites revival are the prayers that we pray, this travailing that we come and bring before the Lord. Psalms 126 verses 5 and 6, it says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now I want to say this, you can have prayer without revival, but you cannot have revival without prayer. Amen. You can have prayer without revival. I mean, re prayer has been there since, since the beginning. But you cannot have revival without prayer. If we are serious as a people and we want to see God pour His Spirit out on us, we need, to, we need to start getting serious about our prayer. Because it takes a hungry people to attract a holy God. Amen. It takes a hungry people to attract a holy God. We've heard many, many sermons about how important prayer is for revival. And Pastor Yang does a great job of, of you know... Um, Showing us all these different revivals of the past, whether biblical or historical, and all of them are linked to prayer. No revival exists out of prayer. It's always birthed out of prayer. And it was the same with the Shalom revivals. Both the 1905-06 revival and the 2006 revival were birthed out of prayer. The first one, um, the first revival had its roots in these two Kasi um, Kasi is, is my tribe of people. These two Kasi ladies who went to another city in India and they heard this American uh, preacher preach about prayer and they were so gripped by, by what they heard that they decided they were going to go back home and they had one theme in mind and that was to pray. This was the year 1902. This was three years before anything happened. And they came back and they started praying. And pretty soon that caught on. The, this prayer movement caught on. And, and, and the people just began crying out to God for, uh, uh, for Him to pour out His Spirit. And the person that they heard turned out to be this man by the name of R.A. Torrey. He was a friend of D.L. Moody, and he had this to say about prayer and revival. He said, let a few of God's people, they don't need to be many, get thoroughly right with God themselves. The rest will count for nothing unless you start right there. And let them band themselves together to pray for a revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. Then let them put to themselves at God's disposal to use them as He sees fit. That will bring a revival to any church and any community. Amen. You know, Pastor Yang preached a sermon just a, a couple of months ago, and in it, he was talking about how there's a need for us as a people to come together and pray, not waiting for church-mandated prayer meetings, as great as they are, and we want to encourage you to come for them. But he, want, he was talking about the need for us to organically uh, meet up with people. And I don't know if you are doing it, but we have a, 
I, I personally have a group of people that we meet with every night and we pray for revival. And I want to encourage you, if you're not doing that, find people, find like-minded people who will agree with you and begin praying and asking God for an outpouring of His Spirit. Amen? You know, the 2006 revival, it, it was, um, like I said, it was 100 years since the last revival that we saw. And people were, were tired of the apathy that had grown in the church, that had set in the church. Because, you know, now the church is a, uh, the, the Christianity is a majority a part religion and when you're not persecuted, you become complacent. You become comfortable. But then the people decided, hey, we want more than this. We want more. There must be so much more than this. And they started praying. Three years before anything happened, in 2003, people started praying. Cries started um, uh, ringing out before the Lord. And one year before the revival, uh, th- there was, a, there was a, a decision that all these churches were going to come together. And there was a chain, a prayer chain that was taking place. Every day, there was a church that was praying. 24-7 at any given point of, of the day, you will have people praying for revival. And that was the only agenda. God, we want to see you pour your spirit out on us. And I tell you, I remember we were doing it as well. Uh, the church that I was in back home, we were meeting literally every day. And I'm not exaggerating. You know, Saturday through till Sunday, every evening we would meet. We would meet in my parents' basement and we would come and we would just cry out to God for revival. We would come and we would worship and we would just cry out to God for revival. We would cry for the souls of the people that we, that we knew and we, we loved. And then the fire of God came. I remember it was spreading all around. And one evening during one of those prayer meetings, I remember it so vividly. I was still leading in worship and we were just worshiping and then the presence of God hit so mightily. And you know, we come from a charismatic Pentecostal background, so we were used to having visitations of the Holy Spirit, and we knew what it felt like, but this was different. This was so different, and it continued on and on for many, many months, uh, just this travailing and praying during the revival, and that's what I want to say. Prayer and travailing prayer does not end when the revival starts. If anything, it intensifies during revival, and this was what I saw. When, When the Spirit of God hit, a lot of these people or being touched by the, by, by the Holy Spirit. And some of them uh, coming from non-Christian backgrounds and having never heard about the, the Savior, when they would come into the presence of God, immediately they would be convicted of sin. They would start um, asking for forgiveness of their sins. And almost instinctively, they would start interceding. It was very, very um, supernatural. They would start interceding for the lives of, of, of their friends. They would start interceding uh, for the souls of the, their loved ones. And that's what I want to say this morning. Travailing prayer isn't about us and our supposed need for revival. It's all about souls, amen? And revival is all about souls. So let us not get this wrong. When we are praying for revival, when, when we are asking God to pour His Spirit out, what are we asking for? Are we asking for a Holy Spirit party in the church where we can all come and just, you know, have a good time in the presence of God? Are, are we really asking for the souls to be one to the kingdom? I pray that this will be the cry of our hearts, that when we come before the Lord and we say, God, pour your spirit out on us, it is not for us to just receive it, but it's for the world. It's for those that are lost. And that is what revival is all about. Amen? Amen. The second thing I want to talk about revival this morning is it is transmittable. It is transmittable. I want to talk about fire. If there's one certain thing about fire is if it is given a chance to, it will spread. Yeah? You know, a couple of weeks ago, a few colleagues and myself, we were sent to attend this emergency response training uh, under SCDF. And, uh, you, you know, so we were trained how to respond to emergencies that would happen in the workplace or in our, in our instance, in a church service like this. So if there's any emergency, so long as I'm around, you're all safe. Okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. We were trained. Uh, we're, we're supposed to be first responders. And one of the things that we were trained to do was how to respond to a fire incident. But more than uh, being trained how to respond, we were actually shown how ferocious a fire can be, how quickly it can spread if it, is left, uh, uh, if it was left to its own devices. 
And we were taught that for a fire to exist and to continue burning, there needs to be three things, heat, air, or oxygen, and fuel. So long as these three things exist in tandem and the conditions are right, the fire will burn and continue to burn. And so it is with our spiritual lives as well. I mean, God provides the heat. God provides the oxygen, the air. It's the Holy Spirit. But we are the fuel. We provide the fuel. So long as the fuel is there, so long as the fuel is ready to be used by God, the fire will continue to burn in our lives. Amen. And the fuel needs to be fuel that's combustible. You know, you cannot have um, firewood that has been drenched in rainwater sitting out in the cold. That's not going to catch fire. It needs, the, the fuel needs to be ready to be combusted. And I love what Eileen said. She preached here a couple of weeks ago. I've been listening to the sermons, okay? <laughs> Eileen said, cold hearts won't attract revival. Cold hearts won't attract revival. What's the, what's the condition of your heart like? Are you cold towards the thing of, things of God? Or are you sensitive towards the things of God? And are you ready to be made combustible? You know, I want to talk about the transmittability of revival, just like fire. And I spoke about how it spread from Wales to Shillong. Wales is some 8,000 kilometers away from Shillong. And when we heard of what God was doing, this was in the early 1900s. There was no plane. There were no planes then. People would have to travel by boat. And so it took time for the news to to reach our shores. But once we heard about it, and we we started praying, and God just poured His Spirit out on us. And Pastor Yang always talks about how, um, you know, his his experience with... uh, Rodney Howard Brown's meetings in Brisbane, how he went there, came up, experienced the move and the touch of the Holy Spirit, and he came back and he brought the fire of revival. I tell you this morning, church, revival is transmittable. It is transferable. If you hear what God is doing in some place, you can lay hold of that and say, God, I want it. Amen. May we, we, as a church, may we always... um, Incline our ears to what God is doing. It may not happen in our congregation. It may not happen in our community, but we can lay hold of that. Amen. And I saw how the revival in 2006 spread in the local churches. It spread organically, the fire. In fact, you know, uh, one of the peculiar things about this revival was it was very unlike most of the revivals in the past. Um, Revivals that we'd hear of would usually center around a person or a church. And it would be a person or a church would carry that revival. But it was very different for us. It was spreading from one church to another organically. Almost spontaneously, um, these different churches would, would just uh, begin to experience the, the fire and the, and the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And it happened in schools as well. You know, all these schools across the land, in the city, in the villages, God was uh, pouring out His Spirit on them. And the revival spread in so many of these schools, aided in part by the media. I want to show you some of these newspaper clippings, you know. Uh, show, these newspapers were carrying stories of the revival and what God was doing in the schools. C- can you imagine the Straits Times talking about something like this, the touch of the Holy Spirit getting stronger? Come on, we can believe that God will do it again. And these are some uh, images of school children in their schools just under the, uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was happening everywhere. There were schools everywhere. I remember one day I was at home and I heard crying from a distance. And the longer it went on, there were more and more people that were crying. I started running towards that direction. It was coming from a public school near our home. And when I got there, there was at least two classrooms where these kids were like that. They were just all on the floor and, and some of them were kneeling. They were slain in the Spirit. Some of these kids had, uh, were not Christians, but under the power of the Holy Spirit, they started going on their knees and they started having um, uh, uh, encounters with Jesus and they started interceding for their people, uh, for their loved ones. And it was happening everywhere. It was spreading so widely and so rapidly. And the media really played a big role because people started hearing about what God was doing in all these different places. They started hearing about how this church was experiencing revival and they would flock to that church. They started hearing about how this school and that school was having revival and people were just hungry and crying out to God for more. I mean, it was, it was to the point where schools actually had to close down because they just couldn't function. 
Can you imagine the amount of pandemonium and chaos that was happening in the schools? And it was beautiful. It was beautiful chaos. And I want to tell you, parents especially, our children need an encounter with God. Amen. And you know, these kids, a lot of them during the revival, when they had these encounters with Jesus, they would keep, some of them would be brought up to heaven. They would see things in, in the spirit and they would come back and share. And most of these kids are still walking with Jesus right now. You know, if, if time permits, I have a hundred stories to share with you. I've collected a lot of these over the years, but of course I don't have that. But I want to say our children need an encounter with God. You know, I've been speaking about revival a lot in our household the last few weeks. And my daughter has heard a lot of it. And she always tells me, Daddy, I want to learn more about revival. I want to hear more about revival. And just two days ago, I was uh, uh, rehearsing this sermon that, I'm, gonna, uh, that I was, I'm preaching this morning, trying to keep to the time that I've been given, and I'm not doing a good job of that. But, you know, after she, after she heard the sermon, she came up to me and she said, Daddy, I want to pray for revival to come to my school. Come on, man. If that's not what we're after, I don't know what it is. We want to see our children be on fire for Jesus. You know? Amen. And you know, I don't know what you are hoping to leave behind for your kids. I don't have much to leave her by, by, me, by way of material things. I don't have wealth to leave, with, uh, to leave for my daughter. But what I, want, what I want to do is to pro- provide her with an opportunity to encounter Jesus. I tell you because one touch from the Lord will set them for life. Amen. If they have a genuine encounter with Jesus, not just coming to school and going to Sunday, uh, coming to church and going to Sunday school and all of that. And all of that is great. But what they need is an encounter with Jesus and that will set them for life. Amen. It leads me to my last point, and that is uh, revival is transformational. You know, in those months during the revival, in, those, in that year of, of revival that I was back home for, there was an open heaven over us, and there was transformation that was happening in the land. But it, ha- it started with the individual. The transformation started with the individual. There was a deep work of the Spirit of God leading to a desire to live holy lives. And a lot of people who were touched during the revival, like I said, are still serving God today. I remember, you know, when I was in school, this was way back before the revival. I was in school. I, was, I really loved the Lord. I wanted to serve Him with all my heart. And I had these friends who would tease me as a result of that. Uh, they would tease me for, you know, living for Jesus and all of that. But I saw how during the revival, God touched them. And a lot of them are now pastors, worship leaders, church leaders as well. There was a deep work of the Spirit of God during that time. And there was... Uh, uh, there was a deepened hunger for the Word of God. It was such that even bookstores kept running out of Bibles. You know, they would order in the Bibles, and within a few hours of the Bibles arriving at the bookstores, they would run out because people were just so hungry for the Word of God. And I believe God is going to do that again. Amen? Pastor Lip, in one of his sermons, he said, a new wave of salvation is coming, of people not just following a religion, but having deep encounters with Jesus. That is what we want. We don't just want to see numbers added to our church. That's great. I mean, it's great for, for, for people to come and worship with us, but we want to see people having encounters with Jesus because these are the kind of people that will change the world. These are the kind of people that will bring uh, uh, hope to this dying world. Amen? Secondly, there was a transformation in the family, and many families were reconciled during the revival. I want to show you this, this one article. It, it shows this father, a daughter, and, and the mother. And this daughter had experienced revival fire in her school. And there was such a deep longing to see Jesus come in their family. She started praying. And this father was an alcoholic. Uh, the, the, the article uh, um, talks about it. You know, he's an alcoholic, and he would come home, and he would beat his, his family. He would even threaten to kill them in his drunken stupor. But God touched him, and he gave his life to Jesus, and it was because of the little girl. And this was happening all across the place. We were hearing stories. And can you imagine, even newspapers were carrying this kind of stories. How incredible would that be if our newspapers write about, not about COVID-19 and where the new cluster is, but where the new cluster of, of revival is, amen? 
I mean, I, I hope and I long for that day to come, and I believe it will happen again. Amen. There was a transformation in the church. Holy Spirit encounters replaced church programs. I mean, we, we couldn't have church as we used to anymore. I remember we would come on a daily basis and we would uh, worship the Lord. I would stand up there and start playing my guitar and, 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 and singing. And within five, ten minutes, the Spirit of God would just come and invade that place. And we would just be on the floor on our knees, crying out to God, uh, having encounters with Him, and being transformed in His, in his, in his presence. But also asking for God to touch our land. And it would happen for hours and hours. And most of these churches kept their doors open daily, 24-7, for people to come and have these encounters with Jesus. There were many signs and wonders. And speaking about uh, keeping the doors of the church open, here's this newspaper clipping. Even the BBC got in on this. They heard about what, was do- what God was doing. And there was this article that was written about it. And it had to do with this cross that was glowing. And it was very supernatural. The cross started glowing. And, and people heard about this phenomenon. And they started coming from all over. Thousands upon thousands of people would come to the point where this church would have to stay open all day long. I mean, at 3 a.m. in the morning, people would still flock to this place. And they would come in, in, front of the, in front of the church, in front of the cross, kneel in front of the cross and have encounters with Jesus. I mean, if this is not symbolic, I don't know what is. You know, you come to church, you kneel at the cross of Jesus, and you, and you, you meet with Him. And signs and wonders are great, and they should point to something. You know, and obviously it's pointing to the Lord, and people are being changed. And speaking of signs and wonders, we had uh, some of these, like the kids would have... Um, uh, uh, dreams and visions, and one of the prophetic words that the children were releasing was that God would send these animals and birds, and wherever these animals and birds would show up, the revival would, would, would come. And sure enough, there was this one bird that we had never seen. It, we didn't know what species the bird was, and we had never seen this kind of bird before. We had never seen it since. But everywhere the bird would show up, it would perch on the pulpit, it would perch on the Bible, it would perch on the steeple of the church. And so long as the bird was there, the fire of God was, was, was pouring out. And it would stay there, you know, people would sing and, and worship and do all of that. The bird would just stay there. It's just a sign and a wonder, but it brought people to the Lord. Because when people started hearing about these things, they would rush to the churches and they would see, uh, uh, we would see people getting saved. And can you imagine something like this happening in the and the, the newspapers carrying these stories about what God is doing in Cornerstone. And people are curious about this. These phenomena that were happening, people would be curious and they would rush to the church. And as they come in, they would meet with Jesus. Amen. We long for, we long for something like that. There was a lot of angelic visitation. There was um, other phenomena like gold dust and all of that. And it was great. But there was transformation in the city as well. In the society, it wasn't just in the church. It didn't remain just in the church. You know, there was a decline in crimes and sin. A lot of liquor shops were closed down because people no longer wanted to drink. They wanted to live lives that, that pleased the Lord. Um, there were recorded stories of how disputes in villages involving court cases for decades and decades in the matter of one day solved and, and, and you know, the, the problem no longer was because of what God was doing. And you know, it's, you know, you know it's significant when even government ministers and politicians start commenting on this. Here's something that um, this minister said. He has since passed on. But he said, I have seen the streets outside my house. The people who used to stand, stand around in the dark, drunk and swearing, have reduced a lot. Many broken families have gotten together. Yes, many people have experienced change. May we see a day where the world and its leaders see what God is doing and acknowledge it. Can you imagine our politicians standing up and saying, hey, I, I notice a change that's happening in this locality and that locality, and it's because of what God is doing. Amen. And like I've said from the beginning, revival is all about salt. May we learn to strengthen our nets in, the, in preparation for the big harvest that's coming, because it is coming. God has promised He would pour His Spirit out on all flesh. 
And may it be the case in our community. May it be the case in our church. May we learn to travail in the spirit. May we be ready fuels to be ignited by God. And may we first be transformed by him. Amen. Lord, send revival and start with me. Start with me, Lord. You know, I've come to the end of of my message this morning, but I want to leave you with this video. I've collected lots and lots of videos over the years about what God was doing, and I put it together into this two-minute video that I want to show you this morning. And uh, this video just shows clips of people during the revival. Some of them, uh, in the midst of weather, rain, they would just come to church, and uh, they would come to the services in open fields, and respond to the, the gospel. Some of, these, uh, some of the, the, the clips would show you um, children in schools having experiences with Jesus. And some of them would show you churches in the wee hours of the morning, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, filled to the brim with people just worshiping the Lord because they couldn't get enough of Him. And uh, so I want to show you this video right now. Thank you. us to reach out in our hearts. You know, we want to respond to the word. I know that today, this weekend, of course, we have new voices, a new generation that is speaking. But we are not here just to be um, celebrating a younger generation. Amen. But we're here to hear what the word of God is going to be brought through by them. And I want to ask us to respond. And I just sense like today, you know, as I'm watching this and I'm listening to Bob preach, you know, I just feel like even my own heart all that there just needs to be a kindling of fire again amen i want to encourage all of us that if your heart is cold if your heart is lukewarm if your heart is not burning and you have maybe lost focus and become distracted by many things and you have missed what is the real agenda you have missed what god is doing that it is about god it is about what he would do i want to ask you this uh, morning just to respond amen just to respond i believe this that there it is transmissible not just in the present but things in the past, as we hear about it, it becomes transmissible today as well. Amen. And I believe that as the word is brought forth, as Bob is prepared, as he's asked the Lord what he should speak on, 
I know that people who are coming today, this morning and watching this and listening this, that you need to hear this. I need to hear this. And let's respond to the Lord. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We ask you, Lord, stir our hearts, God. Lord, if our hearts are cold, Lord, if our hearts have grown cold, if we have become distracted by many things, oh God. Lord, and Lord, we ask you to change it, Lord. Lord, we ask you today, ignite something afresh in our hearts, Lord. Lord, if we become Martha's, oh God, Lord, busy about many things, oh God. Lord, if we become like the Laodicean church, oh Lord, that has become lukewarm, Lord. Lord, we ask you this morning as we hear the word of God preached, Lord, let your word pierce our hearts, Lord. Let what we see with our eyes pierce our hearts afresh, oh God. Lord, before we can ask anyone else to have an encounter with Jesus, Lord, we need a fresh encounter ourselves, God. We need a fresh encounter with the Lord. And Lord, we just come to you, we ask you, oh God, for a fresh encounter in our own lives, oh God. Father, we are weighed down by many worries, Lord. We are weighed down by many anxieties and many concerns, oh God. We are concerned about future, Lord. We are concerned about jobs, oh God. But Father, there is one thing, oh Lord, that if we would set our hearts towards you, if we would receive that fire kindled in our hearts, we know, Lord, that you will sort everything else out, oh God. And we just come to you, Lord, this morning, Lord. We ask you, Lord, move upon our hearts, Lord. Move upon our hearts, Lord. Move upon our hearts, Lord. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to respond to the Lord this morning. I want to encourage you to respond. I'm encouraging you to say, Lord, would you stir my heart? Would you stir my heart? You know that we have got prayer meetings on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. I want to encourage you to come sign up for it. Be a part of this, you know, and even if you can't come, the Wednesdays ones on Zoom, I want to encourage you to join us on Zoom and to pray and to ask the Lord because I'm telling you this, this is not something that God would just call, just pour out simply because we hear a message, we say, yeah, okay, that's a great word. But we need to pursue the Lord, amen. We need to say, God, I got to have this. I got to have this. I got to have this. Father, I just thank you, O oh Lord. I pray for every person that is in this place, Lord. Help us, O oh God. Help us, Lord. Stir our hearts, Lord. Let there be a fresh fire, Lord, that is poured out, that is ignited, Lord, this morning, Lord. Let there be a fresh fire ignited, Lord, in our hearts, O oh God. Father, we bless you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We pray and ask us all in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering, shall we? You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.